we are going to do something a little bit different. I always think I do something different. I probably don't do anything different. In my mind, it is, though. Uh, I just want to share with you two things. I want to share uh, scripture. We're going to read through the entire chapter of Romans 6, and I want to tell some stories. And that's about it. But I believe that God is going to do something today uh, in people's lives. I believe that today is going to be a day. I wrote at the top of this, my goal. My goal is that I would have faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, that there would be gospel power in this place today for gospel faith. That means that God would come and meet some people, myself included, and bring a, a, a new level of freedom in our lives today. That's my goal. And I'm going to start out with a story. So to kind of start things off and set the stage, I want to actually talk a little bit about Romans 5. And I kind of was praying this week that the Lord would give me a story that would kind of connect that a little bit. And he reminded me, and I, I got permission from my daughter, when Josephine, my oldest, was probably, oh, I don't know, about 12 months old. I have no idea, to be honest with you. She was old enough to get in trouble on purpose, you know? She just did her things. And so my uh, stepmother had bought us these little candies from Sam's Club that were like pumpkin flavored. And Josephine had had some, and she wanted more. And we're all sitting around in the living room. She starts going over toward that candy dish, and my wife, Melissa, was like, Jojo. No, no, you know, she knew, she, she wanted them, they were good. And she looked, she just looked at my wife, that kind of thing, like the wheels are turning, you know. Well, in our household, we try to, we try to um, have age-appropriate consequences, age-appropriate boundaries, even for little kids, right? Even for like a 12-month-old, kind of figuring those things out. So at that time, we used, you know, the timeout chair. And so um, Melissa had to say it one more time, which we try not to say things twice in our household, but she did. She said, she said um, jo uh, yeah, Jojo. If you eat that candy, you're going to have to go in timeout. <laughs> so Jojo looks at the candy dish. She looked at the timeout chair. And then she looked at her mother. <laughs> and then she walked herself to timeout. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe our consequences weren't really good. But it did, it did remind me a little bit about what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 5. At the end of Romans 5, he's talking about this relationship we have between the law, sin, and grace. Um, it's, it, to me, it's a, a great background to kind of get going. And it has to do with this idea that when the law, when the rules become alive in my spirit, when I, when I begin to know what's right and wrong in the eyes of God, those desires that are already in me, Scripture says, begin to produce sin. I begin to sin. I begin to rebel against the law that's in there. And then sin, when it gives birth, the scripture says, it produces death. You know, our, our desires kind of lead us astray. We go into sin. We rebel against the law, and it leads to death. And the scripture at the end of Romans 5 basically says that where sin abounds in our life, where there's great opportunity, great, um, where sin is happening, it says God's grace comes and abounds even more. There's this reality that no matter what the enemy puts into our life, that, that what God has for us, what he's reserved for us, is even greater than that. And so Paul is saying, look, at where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And that's really important as we start in Romans 6, because he's going to ask a question um, that has to do with that, um, that, very, that very thought. And the second thing, which may be helpful to some people, it was helpful to me in knowing this. Paul wrote this letter uh, to, to the Roman church. He had not been there yet. Um, I think he was hoping to go there. But when he wrote this letter, he used the word sin 48 times. And if you're like me, you know what sin, sin is missing the mark is the appropriate answer that whatever it means to do, you know, to, to rebel against the law of God, to do wrong. It has to do with our actions. Paul used that word sin 48 times. Only two times did he use it as a verb, which I find really interesting. As we go through this story, um, it's good to know that he used it 46 times as a noun. 
which is, you know, in our grammar, it's a person, place, or thing. It's something separate from ourselves, which is interesting and will help us understand why I picked today. I'm doing something I never did. I kind of got some permission to do this. We're actually going to read it through the message. So my apologies if you brought your Bibles. They will be no good to you because the message is so different than all of our other Bibles. Um, I'm going to have it on the screen. But it, the way Paul portrays sin is, to me, stunning. Um, and and, and um, the message just pulls that out really well. So here we go. Um, If you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to read all 23 verses of Romans chapter 6 out of the message, and we can all be tied to the screen if you didn't bring your message Bible. Right? There's some laughter there. So verse 1. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. That's that whole abundance of grace thing, abundance of sin. Paul's answering the question. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign... How can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That's what's happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus, and when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. That's such good wording. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the final or last word. I just want to say that again. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. And from now on, think of it this way. That, where are we there? Uh, Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So since we are out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, just how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others or caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different... Is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness? As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, 
You didn't have to bother with right thinking, right living, right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and you've discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. I want to read that again because I think if I was going to be honest, there's probably some people right here this morning that don't believe that about themselves, even though they're a believer, that that's where God has you. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. Today we're believing that God's going to move in, in, that, in that way for some people and bring new life, new freedom, new healing. Work hard for sin, it says. Your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life delivered by Jesus, our master. Amen. Amen. Well, Sunday was good, wasn't it? I'm glad you guys came. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you may be seated. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we get the privilege of coming to this place together and encountering your word. We ask Jesus that your word would plant in our hearts as a seed. We ask for that it would bear fruit today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if any of you um, ever listen to podcasts, any podcasters, anybody listen to podcasts around here or just me? I, I see those five hands. Um, there's a podcast that's called This American Life, and what Ira Glass does in it is he, 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 calls, he breaks up his podcast into two parts, Act 1 and Act 2. That's what I'm going to do. So Act 1 is we're going to talk about baptism. That's the wanted dead part of my message. We're wanted dead and alive, not dead or alive. So, and I'm just going to recap real quick what we read, Romans 6, 1, just the first three verses. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up, up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we come up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. How many know that that word baptism actually means simply to go under? It means to be immersed, to dip underwater. Um, Frankly, that's the reason at New Life Church, one of the reasons we baptize fully in water. We don't don't sprinkle. A lot of us come from traditions where as a child you might have gotten sprinkled here. at, at, At New Life, we believe it's a believer's baptism, and you go under the water all the way. And I can remember I had gotten saved in a, in a tradition, in a um, church tradition that did sprinkle us as babies, and God met me powerfully there. But I can remember being at um, my small non-denominational church in upstate New York, and actually Pastor Justin was with me, we were about 19 years old, and the Lord, maybe 20, the Lord spoke to me to get baptized. I don't know if you guys ever do this with God, I don't know why I do, but you begin to argue sometimes, and you're like, but Lord, I've already been baptized. And he's like, no, actually... I want you to get baptized the Bible way. And so I said, okay, I'll do that. I don't really know why. And in the church, much like what we do here, they had me go to a class. And I honestly could care less about the class. I just was trying to obey the Lord. And I remember the lady trying to teach us, and I I didn't get half of what she was saying, I don't think. I just knew that I was to obey what God said to me. So I wanted to get baptized. And so the Sunday came, and they had a little, I don't know, one of those little baptisms things where it's kind of down in and we're kind of down in the stage up to our waist or whatever in the water and I'm getting baptized. The guy who baptized me, his name is Kim Falkenberg, uh, pastor of the church. And I just remember it was just such a powerful encounter for me. He, he kind of does that thing where he asks you to hold your nose and I didn't know what I'm doing, you know, and, and he grabs you on both sides and he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, when he put me underwater, 
Uh, this good Catholic boy had an encounter with God I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating. My entire body actually just began to shake. And not like that internal-like thing we talked. No, it shook. He literally had to hold me because my body was shaking under the power of God. And I heard a voice. No, I didn't hear a voice. That sounds bad. The Lord spoke to me. It was an internal thing. It wasn't like a whatever. I, I heard the Lord speak to me in my heart. A ver- I didn't know it was a verse. But he spoke to me a verse out of Hebrews 12. And I didn't know it until about a month later that he was speaking to me something that was in the word. And he said, Tom, I've come to shake that which can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken shall remain. And then he gave me a physical encounter to prove it. So Kim pulls me up out of the water and he didn't know what to do. He just laughed at me and gave me a hug and said, well, that's cool. It says in in, um, King James Version about what we're talking about, it says this. I love how it says it. It says, therefore, we were buried with Christ by baptism into death that like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we too should walk in newness of life. And there's something about that verse that resonates on the inside of me when it comes to baptism, that God not only calls us to walk in newness of life, but there's something that happens when we obey him and we do what he says, where he gives us power to walk. One, one translation says, gives us power to walk in newness of life. And I just love that. You know, um, the reality is that walking in newness of life with Christ is directly tied to the reality of dying with Christ. If we, don't, if we don't die, if we don't go down, if we don't bury that thing called the sin nature, if that thing is not crucified with Christ, then there is no reality of walking in newness of life. It's interesting to me that there's two ordinances in the church. There's baptism and there's communion. And both of them are tied to death, which I think is funny. You ever you remember that scripture when we take communion sometimes, we'll say it. It says, um, for as often as you eat my body and drink this cup, it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I just find that really interesting. In baptism, we get to experience our own burial, where that, that sin nature has been crucified with Christ, and then it says, we're buried with Christ in baptism. It's a proclamation of our own death. In the same way that communion proclaims Jesus' death, our baptism, even the memory of when we got baptized, is for us a time to remember that we've died with Christ because the Lord wants us dead. He wants that old nature dead. He wants it completely gone. Verse 6 says, Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. I love this. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. Somebody said amen. No longer at sin's every beck and call. Our old life was nailed to the cross with Christ. The Lord, this is, this is the good news, the Lord is not interested in fixing my rebellion. He's not in, interested in tweaking my sin. He's interested in, in it dying. <laughs> amen? He's interested in cutting that thing off. Why? Because dead people don't have a voice. Because dead people don't cause trouble, and because dead people can't harm you. And you know, it reminds me of even in the Old Testament, there's, this, there's the, 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 the command, that the Lord says that you're not to speak to the dead. Do you know that you're actually not to speak to your old man? If, you are new, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer filled with God, and that thing has been crucified with Christ, you've taken your old sin nature and it's crucified with Christ, and now it's dead and buried in the waters of baptism, the command of the Lord is don't talk to that thing. Don't even, don't even give it the time of day. It's dead. We're not to talk to the dead. Uh, verse 3 in the New King James says it this way, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. 
I don't know, it's just profound to me that the Lord actually wants a part of us just dead. And it's for our benefit. When we go under the waters of baptisms, we make a public statement that we become part of the family of God. Right? That's another piece of what baptism is all about. Which is interesting because, um, I don't know, what was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament? The sign of the covenant in the Old Testament was on the eighth day, if you were a male in the Hebrew family, you got circumcised, right? And you carried with you in your body the sign of the covenant your entire life because you were born into it. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we aren't born into the family of God. We come into it by faith. We come into it by repentance. We come into it as an encounter on our own, separate from our parents. So check this out. Where am I going with this? You'll, you'll find out. Colossians 2, 9 through 11 says this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off, that's a circumcision word, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. How wild is that? I just think that's wild. I feel like the, the Hebrew people, they always got to carry around this sign of the covenant with them, that they, that they were God's people. They always had a memory. They always had something they could attach that to, to say, no, no matter if I'm having a good day or a bad day, I, I, I'm part of God's people. And I think one of the reasons for, that, that God instituted baptism, I don't know this, so I don't take this as theology, it's just an encouragement to me, is the idea that the Lord wants us to remember the day that we got buried with Christ. Remember the day, Tom, when that old nature went under the water. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. It doesn't matter what you're, where, where you're at right now. But you do need to come alive to the fact that that old man is dead and buried. You get to walk the rest of your days remembering that that, man, that old man that was crucified with Christ is in the waters of baptism. I think that's good news. Um. So the interesting thing, too, is in the Old Covenant, if you are born into the family, you become part of the, the covenant people of God. In the New Testament, you have to come to by faith. And that's why we don't do, we don't do infant baptisms here, because you've got to be a believer. Jesus said you know, to, that you believe and be baptized. There's a connection there. So, um, and, and if you came from a culture like mine, that can be hard. That can be a difficult thing. When you say, hey, wait a minute, my parents, you know, in faith, went and did this act. They baptized me as a child. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to come against that and come do something as an adult. Um, but what I would encourage you is uh, if your parents are like my parents, probably what they were doing was saying, God, in faith, I'm doing what I know to do. And that is to bring my child to you and ask that you bless them. And, and wouldn't it be a fulfillment of that as an adult to say, I've given my life to Jesus and now I'm going to go under the waters of baptism like the Bible says and I would just say, just take that shame and condemnation off if the enemy is trying to tell you don't do it because you, you, you were in a tradition where you didn't need to. Um, let's go for the Bible. Let's go for what the Bible says. In baptism, the Lord is inviting you to leave the country where sin is sovereign, that life is dead. So this is the end of what I call Act 1. And it's, it's an abbreviated version of our baptism class. We talked about some things in, in baptism, in our baptism class. And at the end of service, we're going to give you, if you've, if you've given your heart to Jesus and you've never been baptized, we're going to give you the opportunity to sign up for that today because I, I really believe it's going to be a marking point in a lot of people's lives is to go under the waters, 
get touched by the presence of God and, uh, and know from that day forward, no, 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 that guy's dead. He's under the waters of baptism. So act two is the other side of this. You're also wanted, not only dead, but you're wanted alive. Start with verse 12. It says, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember who you've, that you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. What does freedom look like? That's a good question for us. We could probably spend, what, months talking about that. Um, I want to share one point of what I think freedom might look like. And I want to share it through a story, if that's okay. I spent probably about 12 years in banking. And about probably around eight years ago, I was an operations manager in a, um, call it a, a bedroom community, or a little suburb of Tacoma, Washington called Fircrest. And I had three uh, tellers that worked for me, um, or maybe four, anyhow. And we were given notice by one of those little crime stopper sheets that we had the baseball cap bandit on the loose in Tacoma. Now, we were part, a part of the town where um, he probably was going to visit us, let's just be honest. You know, there's certain parts of the town they don't go, other parts, we're a part of the town, we're going to visit him. He's probably coming. So I gave all my tellers uh, the little crime stopper thing. It's got his picture, talks about him. He always wore a baseball cap. He always wore rubber gloves with rubber bands. And so sure enough, one day we were visited by the baseball cap bandit. And so I, the, if the front door was here, I'm kind of in the lobby talking to somebody. And my tellers that day, one of them was gone. Um, the first teller, I forget her name, she was um, pregnant with her first child, like eight months pregnant, but they were twins. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, do not let her get robbed. That's the last thing I need is for her to get robbed. She's already got enough anxiety going on. Well, this guy is walking in with his gloves, and he walks over to uh, the second teller, Brian. Now, what you need to know about Brian is Brian had been on the phone for 45 minutes with one person, trying to help an elderly gentleman get online his online banking. Have you ever dealt with one person in customer service for 45 minutes? He was not giving up. He was a bulldog to raw meat. He was going to make sure this guy got his online banking. Well, when the old bandit guy goes over, he, he had his rubber gloves and his hat on, just like on the picture. Brian literally had his picture right next to him in the teller station. The, the guy had written out on his little demand note, whatever, and he slid it across the teller station. I don't think Brian said a word to him. He just went like this. And he slid it right back. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. So I'm thinking, well, I can't let her get robbed. She'll have her baby on my teller line. So I kind of book it back there. And he, he, I said, come on over here. I'll help you out. He comes over. He gives me his note. And it says, you know, I have a gun and blah, blah, blah. And give me all your money. So I'm, I'm a good little boy, Scott. I take his little bag. And I literally went from teller station to teller. Fill it up. I'm like, let's fill this up for you and get you on out of here. And uh, we got him out of there. Uh, the end of the story was he actually had his getaway car around back with um, our number one client who happened to be out on a smoke break who sees a guy running from the bank with gloves on and a bag. And so he ended up getting caught, and I was able to testify at his arraignment and the whole thing. But um, it's an interesting story to me because the thing about freedom that I look at that, like if you look at the Bible, not the Bible, the dictionary definition of freedom. So we're not, even, we're not even getting into the heavy, deep, and real Bible definition of what it means to live free in Christ, but just the word freedom. Um, it simply means this. 
the power or right to act, speak, or think as one with no hindrances or restraint. Right? So I ask you, in that moment of the robbery, now we all know, let's be honest, as a banker, if anyone's in banking, I did the right thing. I did what the robber's supposed to do, and you get him out the door. But who was free? Who acted as a free man? Yeah, was it me who did everything the robber wanted? Like, literally, and actually the FBI made fun of me because his note said he wanted money from all three drawers. I read it wrong, so I gave it from all three teller stations. I totally loaded him up. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was nervous. Um, he said he had a gun. I don't know. The, the FBI guy says, I would have told him to show it to me. Um, or was it Brian who literally was just like, you know what, hun, bud, I didn't buy a ticket to the show. Take your notes elsewhere. I'm helping this man get online. By definition, the word freedom actually scares or threatens a lot of people in church. A lot of times it does us, if we're going to be really honest. Um, our relationship with God tends to, at times, become more, um, more about the rule, uh, relationship to the rules than to the one who created the rules, right? And it becomes, we, we whittle it down to, am I, am I doing right? Now, I'm not saying that, that the law isn't good. The Bible says the law is perfect and, and and we're not, we're not saved so we don't have to do anything with the law. We're saved because by his grace, we can live a life of holiness. Amen? But our primary objective is to relate to the one who created the law. Our primary reject, uh, objective is to honor that one. And I think sometimes terminology like that definition where it says without restraint is scary to us. We're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. We've got to have some restraint. Or, you know, you're sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't think like that. We need rules. We need constraint, and Paul actually addresses it. And I'd say he, he, he agrees with you. Verse 15 says this, so since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly, he says. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you started listening to a new master. Uh, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. If you read like the NIV version, it actually talks about in this verse about being slaves of sin, or the other option is slaves of God. Not free agents, but actually slaves to righteousness. Um, you know, how many times in our life the Bible calls the devil uh, a thief? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many times does he come up to your teller station in life and he slides a note across that thing? And he says, all right, remember those old ways of, of sinning. Remember those things that, that's part of who you are. He's lying to you. He's saying, this is who you are. You know that shame and that guilt? You know those, those lies you've believed your entire life? Here's that note. He's like, I want you to believe that again. And how many times do we act like me? We grab the note and we fill up exactly what he tells us to do. I want to suggest to you that one way, just one, of knowing that you're free is the ability to say no. The ability to take that note he provides to you and slide it back across the table and say, not today. Not today. Now, it doesn't mean we always say no, Right? Um, sometimes we screw up and we thank God for the blood of Jesus. Sometimes we sin and we just need to come to God and repent. But a true free person has the ability to look the thief in the face and say, not today, I'm not getting robbed. Amen? If you're unable to say no, I want to suggest to you that you're not free. 
And, I, and, I, and that, that is a possibility for some people. When I, when I w- went under the waters of baptism, the other part of that story was there were some, there were some uh, not only sin habits in my life, but there were things, um, guilt, shame, things that, that I believed about me, lies, that I could not, I could not get free from. And I, wanna, I want you to hear that. Some people, you know this roller coaster we talk about sometimes, sometimes you have good days and bad days, and you, you, you have a high with Jesus, and then you're like, yay, my life is wonderful. And then you're like, all right, back into the same old pattern, same old addiction, same old whatever it would be. Well, when I went under that waters of baptism that day, the power of God hit me and literally God shook from my life the things that could be shaken. It doesn't mean I never dealt with them again. It meant that I had the power to say no. It meant that I could look the robber in the face and say, not today, I'm not going there. Amen? So here it is. If you're unable to say no, you're not free. But I have good news that your yesterday doesn't need to be your tomorrow. Amen? Because Jesus came to make all things new. Today is an all things new type of day. And what I'm honestly believing for today is I love, I love every way we get to help people. Whether it's people, you know, one-on-one, people coming, we're praying for each other. There's a 10-step, 4-step, 8-step, whatever your programs are. But what I'm going after today is, is, is the one-step program of of Jesus coming in and just shaking someone's life, right? He didn't, he didn't make my life perfect, but I'll tell you, he has a way of shaking free those things that, that bind us up. And I pray today that as we kind of end this service together in just a few minutes, some of us would be daring enough to say, God, I need to be shaken today. Amen? Wouldn't that be good? I'll tell you what, it was one of, I actually tell people, um, it was, I got water baptized after I was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I had about four years of seeing, you know, uh, God move crazy um, in, in terms of like charismatic stuff and prophecy and healing and, and all this kind of stuff, dreams and whatever. My water baptism was, outside of getting saved, the most profound encounter I've ever had with the Lord. That's how much I love the truth of what's in Romans 6. Amen? So why don't you stand? No, no, don't stand yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. I wrote, I wrote stand there. We're going to stand in a minute. But <laughs> there we go. What do they say, like, Pentecostal preachers close like four times? I'm only on one. Uh, Verse 19. I'm using this freedom language because it's easier to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you, you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness? As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything else for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What do you get out of it? Nothing that you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and you've discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more of life on the way, Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. Isn't that good? I love how he words that. It, it, just, it just so strikes me. You know, there's, um, there's a little scripture kind of going off on a little tangent here in Proverbs. It says, um, one translation puts it this way. It says, knowledge comes easy to a man of understanding. And, and kind of the way I take that, to, what that kind of means to me is, you know, uh, we all want to know the truth, right? The truth sets us free. But doesn't it seem like some people get more downloads of truth than others? It's 
like, what, what is the waterfall you're standing under? Because I want to go get some of that. Well, the proverb kind of alludes to the idea that, that, that knowledge comes easy to the one who understands. And I believe there are certain pillars of understanding that help us receive the truth of God's word. One of them would be like the goodness of God. I think there's a pillar knowing who God is as a good God that helps us to filter truth in an appropriate way. Amen? It's like a foundation in a house. If your foundation's solid, you can kind of build on top of that. And so one of the truths I think that um, I was presented with a number of years ago that's been so helpful to me in this entire understanding of, of sin and all that kind of stuff is, um, has to do with righteousness. And it has to do with the idea that in the Old Testament, one of the core, um, core values that God was actually communicating was the power of sin, right? I mean, it's just the power of what sin can do to a life in destruction, in our relationship with God. It's the power of sin. You see all through the, the Old Testament. It's not the only thing, but it is a, a theme of the Old Testament. Um, and in the New Testament, Jesus, as fully man and fully God, shows us what somebody who's in right relationship with God can do. He shows us the power of righteousness, and it's illustrated this way. In the Old Testament, if you touch a leper, you become unclean. And in the New Testament, Jesus touches a leper, and the leper becomes clean. It's the power of righteousness. Amen? It's the power of righteousness. So sometimes, like, an understanding about, about righteousness itself, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. What if he wants to convict us this morning of Christ's righteousness in us? Not of our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness in us. That what if we're to called to look at that old dead man in the burial, in the baptism, and that reminds us that's not me anymore. But I walk as a son. I walk as a child of God. I walk as one who's righteous in Christ. There's power in walking in the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own. It's not our own effort. It's not our own will. We just get to stand before God and declare that because of Jesus' sinless life, I said sinful, the first service. We now are right before God. There is power in righteousness. Romans 6.11 says it this way in the New King James, and I love the wording of it because it's helpful to us. He says, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ our Lord. Reckon means to consider in a specific way. It means to rely on. It means to be sure of having. And I'd ask you today, are you sure that you, that you have, that you've left the country where sin is so, sovereign? Have you considered that you no longer live in your old house there? There's a freedom on, re, on, on relying on God's truth of his word that your old way of life was nailed to the cross. It's a decisive end, the scripture says. There's freedom in understanding that your old way of life was nailed to the cross of Jesus, and in that nailing, it's a decisive end to a sin-miserable life. If, as a Christian you feel like I'm still living a sin-miserable life. I want to tell you today's your day. Amen? Because it isn't about what you can do to get better. It's about what, what Christ did to kill that thing. Amen? And there's, there's, there's power in the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus coming to us. So why don't you stand with me for a minute as we kind of close this thing out. This is the real stand. I have two, two things I want to call people to. Actually, Two, people, or two things I want to call people to in action. The first one is very simple. If you've not been baptized and you are a believer, there's a prerequisite. And if you're not a believer, we can fix that today too. 
you know. But if you have, if you have put your heart and faith into the gospel, you've repented and you've never been water, water baptized, I want to encourage you, don't wait until you get around to it like that guy. Just do it. There's a great story. I think it's in Acts 16. It's about uh, Paul and Silas. They were in prison. And while they're in prison, I think they were singing. And I think next thing you know, the, the jail opens up and they end up free. And if you remember the story, the jailer actually was going to kill himself. He's like, oh my gosh, they're all free. And Paul says, don't worry about it. We're here. Don't kill yourself. And the, the jailer's response to the kindness and goodness of his own prisoner was, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, you and your whole household. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you and your whole household will be saved. The story doesn't end there. They end up going to the jailer's house. It says in the middle of the night, Paul preaches the gospel to the jailer's family and they all get saved. Not only that, in the middle of the night, they all get baptized. And I think that story is in there to let us know that it's not about our convenience. If you're a believer and you've not been baptized, I urge you in the name of Jesus that today would be the day that you sign up. And there's going to be a couple ways that you can sign up. You can go out into the lobby. You can sign up with our welcome team at nlc.today. Or you can uh, type, it doesn't say gounder. It's supposed to say go under, but it's all one word. So type <laughs> gounder to 97,000. We're part of this texting thing. You've got to find a word. You can't type baptism because some other church is using it. So we have gounder. Um, if you're interested, text go under to 97,000, and later today we'll send you a little, a little something to kind of help that process along and get you, um, get you going. Because this was this, this season's baptism class. You guys sat through it. So uh, you're good to go there. And the second call I want to make is this. It's to those who are believers. That includes everybody now, right? That is a believer in Christ. It's to walk in faith and to reckon that old nature dead. It's not necessary to get rebaptized. Every time we do baptism class, people talk to me about that. And if, if the Lord's calling you to do that, I don't want to mess up your obedience. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying it's not about getting wet again. It's about putting faith in what you've done. It's about extending faith to the fact that, no, 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 I've already been baptized, and that old man is dead under the water. I'm going to reckon him dead. But, but, sometimes, but sometimes you don't understand, Pastor Tom, that, that anger, that whatever it is comes back. It's okay. Reckon it dead. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm saying we have a job to do, and that's standing in faith and reckoning it dead. Because every time we say, no, that thing is dead, what we're really saying is Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. I don't need to do it again. Amen? To those who are trapped in cycles of sin, shame, and guilt, there is freedom today. A power available to you and to I to walk in newness of life. You might be saying, Pastor, I'm afraid that I'm going to leave here and simply walk again in the same cycles I've been walking in, walking in maybe for years. Let's be honest. Some of us walk in some things for years before we allow Jesus to take care of it. <clears throat> well, I want to say today's your day of freedom. What if you had enough, enough gumption, that's an old word, to come on up and say, no, I'm done. I'm done with this cycle. I'm going to walk up front and I'm going to encounter the power of God. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you, even now while I'm talking, feel free just to come on right out of your seat. Maybe you say, Pastor, something is stirring on the inside of me. I can't put words to it, but I know that God is drawing me to a new place of freedom. Maybe you've experienced freedom, but the Lord's reminding you, you've got another layer of that onion to peel back, buddy. 
and you're going to say yes to Jesus. Okay, I am ready. I'm ready to reckon that thing dead. Maybe I haven't done that yet. Extend faith toward the Lord that what Jesus did was sufficient for your freedom. I want to say today is your day. Come and join me up at the front. Or lastly, maybe you're thinking, what if there's more? What if God wants to lead me into more right living, more peace, more joy, more Holy Spirit? Why did I pick those four things? Because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if it's on your heart and you say, God, I know that the answer to every issue of my heart is more of you, Jesus. I'm looking for more today. I want to encourage you to come on up front. We're not going to necessarily start off this time with our normal ministry time. We'll have that at the end. If you have a prayer need, hold on, we're going to get there. But what I want to do is there's a song we're going to begin to sing where we begin to make a declaration in faith. And what we're doing when we sing it is we're reckoning that old man dead. Where we begin to say, no, 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 I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to that fear. I'm no longer a slave to that sin. I'm no longer a slave to what's held me back and brought me in cycles my entire life. And I want to tell you that we're practicing what the scripture says today. We're going to reckon it dead. Amen?